Watch this. Hello and welcome back to the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. I am Tom Mills and today I'm joined by Sam Williams. Hello. Cal Wing. Hello. And Sir, I'm Bruce Fitzpatrick. Howdy. Hi, Bruce. As always, you can get in touch with us on at Cookie Jar Golf on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And today we've got our Room 101 episode where we're going to talk about things we think we need to ditch into the uh, George Orwell past. But before we do that, we're just going to dive in on, we've got a, bit, a little bit of live sport going on. So um, what do we think of um, the live golf that's gone on then, chaps? So much better than the first one. What's this, the Tiger Phil? Yeah, I'm going to get that was great. I thought Sunday night was brilliant. That was, um, I mean, it's all for a great cause. So it's hard to ditch um, Rory and uh, Dustin and Ricky and Matt Wolf too much. It was, I think, it was just the way it was all televised and ran. That was just a bit, a bit weird and a bit stiff. But um, Tiger and Phil, I think they just did a great job. That was, um, it was quite amusing. And fair play to Pe- Peyton and Tom as well. I can't put my finger on why the first week was so boring, though. Had the mic'd up and they couldn't talk. Um, they had guys like Trump on and like Bill Murray's funny, but it was just all a bit random. You could even, he was like, why am I on this? Um, it just a lot of rambling, commercial break. I mean, you look, the, the big, there were some subtle differences having like JT cruising around in the buggy and, and chatting away to Tiger and Phil, whereas. The four Taylor May guys just had a blazer walking around, just kind of keeping notes, and that just didn't work, did it? Yeah, I um, I didn't watch much of either, if I'm being completely honest. But from what I saw on the drive and relief one by Taylor Made, it actually just seemed like they massively over, um, overdid the coverage of it and the like, the accessories of like the kind of analysis by commentators and putting Paul Azinger in a shocking suit next to rich learner with you know like sort of a3 sheets scattered all over the place as if they're preparing to invade <laughs> iraq or something and it's like we're just watching four pros sort of return to golf and it's for a great cause like why on earth are you sort of trying to throw this sort of stats book at this as well and and yeah, I don't know. I just thought it, it, I like the sentiment of them carrying their bags and sort of getting back to the traditional um, aspects of the game. But to then go and just lump down a load of of ancillary coverage and analysis to it with, you know, a pretty second rate reporter. Is it Steve Sands? I mean, no offense, Steve, but him just following them around as well. Not really like just asking them what they were thinking after every shot. It's like, come on, let's, if we're going to strip it back and take the game back to its roots, then then, you know, just leave them to chat amongst themselves. You don't need to overdo the analysis. I think JT did a fabulous job on the uh, the Tiger Phil one. But um, just uh, be- one of the things we got to see was um, two courses that we're probably not going to see again on TV, and it was nice to see the uh, Seminole and Medalist. What do we think of the two courses? So I thought Seminole didn't actually look great on camera, but I think there's a lot of courses where that, that the same could be said, actually. You know, the, the course is revered, isn't it? Um, Medalist is quite an interesting one when you read up on the history of that, because I think that was, was it Pete Dye and Greg Norman? And then I think over time, it's not been trash, but it's been basically um, 
stripped back to such a level where it's become pretty much a school just for tour pros to sharpen their game and uh, it's gone through quite heavy restoration and that was kind of a bit of an unveiling and you know, i thought that i thought medalist actually looked really cool with the wide open fairways there wasn't much rough it, you could really spray it anywhere off the tee but it was all about creating the right angles even though it was pissing down with rain and looked pretty miserable both looked great um but i was surprised how good medalist looked one thing about medalist is that it it when you watched it on tv it didn't look like brutal long but it is brutal long and they just made it look i think i think the amateurs were doing a good job of getting the ball out there because um, yeah, they had like 80 yards off the tee on every hole though, didn't they? and but, um, every big good. units as well i mean as as amateurs go like having an nfl frame and some of those fast twitch fibers probably helps with you know keeping up with two pros even if they are I mean, what does Peyton play? Like Brady's allegedly eight handicap, is he? And then Peyton eight, Manning. Eight, yeah. eight, eight. So I, th- I think there was meant to be a one in front of that eight, at least. <laughs> maybe two, but, um. what, would, you, would you have had any nerves, Cal, playing sort of on like arguably the most watched? Uh, well, yeah, to be, to be fair, we'll, we'll give him benefit of the doubt. It's um huge occasion. I mean, he's like a... I don't know how however many times he's won the Super Bowl, but he's used to pressure, but I guess in his own arena. Um yeah. but I mean yeah, I mean that whole shot on like the seventh or eighth hole, that was um that was very cool. When he sourced it, it in. was it was pissing it down as well. So that's what I found quite bizarre with it was when we when they when they had do you remember the Shadow Creek the the heads up match that Phil and Phil and Tiger played well, that, yeah. that was just, yeah. it was dry like it was very very dry wasn't it and then actually the banter out on the course looked pretty spicy Phil's chat I thought was phenomenal mm. particularly when yeah. he like drive into about 11 or 12 and he was just giving it all the nasty long straight bomb chat and all that sort of stuff there was it was firing back at Tiger a bit. You can pick that up, you know, in the whole and, stuff. And, and yeah. And to be fair, Tiger, for a guy who's known as being a bit of an introvert, like he, he, I think he, from the clips I saw, at least he, um, he seemed to be, you know, firing a few comments back at, at Phil and obviously like Manning and Brady have got their own history and they're, they're definitely used to some sort of trash talking and, and Justin Thomas was great at adding, adding to that as well. And I think, you know, I, I might be speaking a bit out of turn here, but that seemed like a key, differential between the, the tailor-made drive and relief one where there wasn't the, you know the pros weren't really allowed to sort of banter amongst themselves and and you know sort of pick on one another in a light-hearted way whereas in the most recent you know tiger phil um iteration they were able to sort of just kind of roll with it as if there weren't cameras around i thought it was really good and i think with phil specifically i think in the last year i've been a big sort of advocate of Phil needs to go to a mental hospital. I was kind of in the impression he was slowly losing his mind. Um, there goes our chance of having Phil on the show. <laughs> but he acts, he absolutely, like, I thought he was fantastic. There was a, oh, there was yeah. a thing on the second hole where he calls this chip and he's like, and he talks it through for about five minutes. This is what I'm going to do. And then he just fucking nailed it to like to the inch. And then on about the sixth hole, I don't know if you saw it, he bends this drive out left and he's in the bushes. And he's about 180 yards from the green. And he goes, Tiger, can you, Tiger's on the green. He's like, Tiger, can you go up and mark your ball? And Tiger goes, what? He's like, yeah, that, that ball's in my way. Can oh, you yeah. go up and mark her? And, and then he nearly knocked it, to be fair, didn't Tiger he? Tiger goes, if you hit my ball, I'll give you the hole. And he missed it by about four inches. It was so good. I actually thought that format set up very well, actually, particularly the contrast of having the amateurs and the pros 
they the only thing that was jarring was calling it modified modified alternate shot. Um, most Must be sure to the um, yeah talk about catering I, for well, a low iq <laughs> yeah um <laughs> it wasn't even clear from based on that what it was however greensums actually worked brilliantly well i thought it was very funny because there was a big thing on just get me in the middle of the fairway so i can hit the approach shot and obviously a brady bins the drive you've got all pressure back on brady i thought that whole thing worked quite well um i so thought yeah. Dayton was great as well he stood up pretty well mm. i mean absolutely very strong game great putter yeah 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 no he was steady and um yeah no tiger came out of his um shell a little bit as well um you can tell phil's just out and out entertainer as you say isn't it he just absolutely thrives off it just loves um loves the chat and everything else and um it's just a shame about the weather but apart from that it was quite hard to get a feel for medalists just because it was just pouring it down but um it was good enjoyed it and a bit of frozen rope from Tiger as well. Looked pretty promising, didn't it? A swing yeah, looked yeah. good. Back looked good. Just hitting out those low, squeezy little fades with his driver looked look great. I mean, uh, yeah, hopefully he gets a chance. It'll be interesting, actually, to see what schedule he, he picks, having had a massive layoff already. Like, I mean, it seems like the most significant PGA Tour events are going to just be loaded at the back end of the season. I mean, will he even bother rocking up in june at harbour town which is the second event i think or or some of the others just to i don't know get his eye and i guess he's still you know got sneed's um record on his mind and he could do with notching up a few more wins there but it, yeah it'll just be interesting to see how he schedules in things. Fact, in fact if sneed was still playing he would have probably claimed that victory as one of his 82 wouldn't he oh controversial i know so, so some of sneed's are against extremely limited field. I think some of his events are even in like four man tournaments. Yeah. <laughs> where where are you pulling that from? I know. Oh, okay. So I'll, I'll seek permission to come back to, with, with evidence back to another pod and, and, and challenge you back on that one. Some of, some of Sneed's 82 are not full strength field, like sort of cut on day two events. They are definitely not. Tom, have we got any kind of like clanger sort of uh noise effect that we could just you don't need it bruce you don't need your statement i think this is a true one i'll take a knee i'll I'll bend the knee stannis you don't need to bend the knee but allow me to come back with um some empirical evidence in a future pod and then uh, you can you can take a knee at that point all right can you stop using game of thrones references on 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 a golf podcast as well we're getting comments from our listeners okay so we are going to move on so how's this going to work, Tom? So Room 101, the idea is we've got a bit of a period of reflection through lockdown, a lot of time thinking about golf, a lot of time thinking about what's good about it, but also what's not so good. And if we were creating it all over again, what were the things we might not want to see in the game, be it professional tours, be it the amateur game, be it courses or anything around golf as a subject? And we've each come back with a bit of a short list, but we've got to whittle it down, haven't we? Okay. So how are we breaking this down then? Because obviously it's a big old concept. Are we talking sort of on-course etiquette? Are we talking just general format of the game or, or setup of the professional game? I mean, who wants to kick this off? Because I've got a couple of things, but mine are maybe more down the sort of trivial side of, I'll start. Side of the debate. I'll start. But it's totally wide-reaching. Everything. Okay. All right. All, all, yeah, no, leave nothing off the table here. It's it's Family Guy. Something that grinds my gears. That's where we're going with this. Um, so 
something I'd like to bin off from the game is not necessarily Sky commentators, but any commentators, um, ridiculous hyperboles. Mm. People from the bunker, if he gets this within 10 feet, it's impossible. It's a, if he gets this within 10 feet, he's a worldie. Then he just goes and knocks it to like six inches every time. Or she. I think there's some truth in that. Oh. I, think, I think golf is littered with hyperbole. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree as well. I, I take issue slightly with your comment there, Mills, about like I think because of the way TV cameras sort of capture the courses. I mean, you mentioned earlier Seminole not looking as dazzling as a lot of people think it to be on on the TV. Sam, I think it is it is helpful for like the listener to know when a, a pro is like staring down the barrel of a particularly hard like short sided shot because the the TV cameras might not convey that. But I agree with the sentiment about like commentary just being massively overdone um you know like looking on sky and seeing like 3d renderings of of golf holes where there's like a sort of 3d flyby and it's like we don't need to see that like you could just easily get a drone out there or just a basic bog standard camera we can see like what the hole looks like why why on earth are you paying some jumped up software developer thousands of pounds to render a hole in 3d that looks absolutely nothing like it doesn't realize there's only one man for it there's only one man for it Ken Brown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just get him out yeah. there with, yeah, a, with a basketball or fairly good a rubber duck. Yeah, it's good yeah. on course assessment, really. Because yeah, but he is great because he's great yeah. for like when he does the Augusta stuff with um to really sort of exaggerate the contours mm. and everything else. I mean, it's just him with like a a snooker rod, a basketball, and a rubber duck. Yeah, a couple, couple of couple of golf balls <laughs> or whatever, just rolling them out there. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I much prefer that sort of traditional approach. But the hyperbole extends onto things like someone will knock a drive down there and they'll be like 180 from the from the tee or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I think this is going to be just an easy wedge. And he hits the shot. You can see the sole of the club and it's a seven or whatever. But they just say it's a wedge because it sounds amazing. Like, oh, he's going to just easy wedge in here. Mm. I just think it's littered with just exaggeration. So... I mean, I suppose because we're trying to whittle down a list of presumably 12 down to about three things, because we can't bin 12 things from the game, it's unfair. I, I, I would extend hyperbole if you'd be prepared to do a partnership on this one into online media content as well. So I've put clickbait around gold. <laughs> <under my Yeah. laughs> because I think hyperbole extends beyond having, and I absolutely love radar. I absolutely love Radar's commentary. However, there is there are times where you do feel like sometimes he over-eggs. He gives them 10 feet and then they put it to four feet and then it just all of a sudden becomes the greatest shot in the last, last 20 years. I think that extends even more so online channels, though. You see some of the stuff, you know, it'll be you are not going to believe what Brooks Kepka has just said about Patrick Reed, And then you'll read a five-page article and realise that actually it's a moot point. It's totally, it's a total non-event. And again, it's kind of... I don't know what you guys think, but you just see it all the time, just desperately trying to sort of grab column inches. And I don't know, maybe we're guilty of it as well. We know we're podcasters and we're, we're talking about the game as well. But you, you, it, there does seem to be a, 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 a people gravitate towards kind of hyperbole, for want of a better term. Another one of those is uh, this driver should be illegal. And then you watch 
a 45 minute YouTube video with 16 adverts and then you realize it only goes about 150 yards and it should be illegal because it's 461 cc. Yeah, man. Just... I mean, if you get if you get forty five minutes into a video like that and you've not turned it off, I'm questioning your own self discipline <laughs> rather than the sort of abundance of clickbait out there. That's, that, that's that means you've just got far too much time on your hands, Mister Mills. I think but, even um... club manufacturers, Callaway on their on their latest driver it is they've their artificial the AI inspired drivers push driver technology further than is humanly possible. Now. I couldn't even dissect what's wrong with that statement, but you know, again, it is just—it's excessive. It's totally it's repugnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's repugnant. I um, but you know, the thing is that goes with like many different walks of life, isn't it? I mean, the this whole misinformation era that we're living in, just this adjustment period, I guess, as well, where global media is just so diffuse and there's such a race to the bottom in terms of content and just trying to tap into the most base and abhorrent human desires means that there's a lot of this content out there in in not only in golf but in just sort of media and, and news generally but uh yeah I, I for sure wouldn't be sad to see uh stuff like that go okay sounds like we've got a, some consensus on point one who wants to go on a on a completely unrelated room 101 suggestion I'm happy to go. Up to the plate, Cal Wing. Here he comes. And I think this says it. In, this it, this says it in one go. Doesn't really doesn't need much um, explanation at all. But um, I'm sure it's probably at the front of everyone's minds. Iron covers. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's you just, know what? Just, if, I, it if I could just throw in, throw in another one for good measure as well. Um, people who tie their tees together, that is also, you know, just something that needs that to be, can't be a thing. done as well. That oh, yeah. It's yeah, very yeah, old the school. Master, but yeah, it is, old, yeah. The masters do like a pre... Um, no, a plastic pre, set where you put yeah, them in. And... Yeah, with the thing. And, you, and and then there's also like the old school way of doing it. That should just be outlawed immediately from a, from a purist etiquette standpoint. Iron covers and and um, that kind of teeing arrangement should yeah, just, just little, go immediately. Just gimmicky things that yeah so we, we seem to uh, i think there's i'm gonna devil's the... advocate this though um you just all no, the wine covers oh i don't know the answer <laughs> to this um is there any evidence to say that if you don't protect your irons they don't last you know if they're clanging about in your bag every five seconds are they going to get fun? i mean yeah if you're throwing them across the car park or whatever else i'm sure <laughs> but uh, um <laughs> But even then, a head cover's going to do very little. Yeah, a, a little, um, a nice little wet towel, clean, done. So I think I've got iron covers down. I think that that feels like a that feels like a sensible one. I'm gonna I'm gonna chuck a third one into the mix if if people don't mind here. So this is a separate one that I would like to see banished um, in room 101. Internal out of bounds. I would really like to garner your opinions on this one. Yeah, I agree. I think it's wrong. Um, the most extreme example I can think of is probably Hoylake. Yeah, whole one. It's just um, with the range in the middle, it just doesn't make sense. But there is a reason, though, isn't there? Because if you didn't play it the way that it's designed to be played uh, at Hoylake, you would just you just go in a straight line over oh, through the practice area. So it'd be the same would apply for any number of golf holes, though, wouldn't it? It would do. It's just it's just a space thing, isn't it? Yeah, I'm perhaps not as well travelled with you on this, but I um the only internal outbounds that comes to my mind would be at Royal Worlington and the um, 
par five, par three, which kind of intersect. I should really know the the whole numbers on that. I don't know whether it's five and six or four and five. There's only nine of them if you reel if you reel off. There's only nine Um, holes. I think I think it might be four and five or five and six. But anyway, yeah, that there like it sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like the internal out of bounds there is just uh, yeah. I'd I'd like to know some more examples. I've not I've not had the. And I've played courses where some trouble skirts the edge of a hole or the or the boundary of the course skirts the edge of a hole, but then they'll bring the white markers in significantly, be it 5, 10, 15. It just makes no sense to me. I I, I think out of bounds is like like astonishingly penal in a round of golf. Like it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Let's be honest. Out yeah. of bounds, you just avoid like fucking plague. And and to put it inside the internal perimeter of a golf course just makes li- as, where, as especially where you could play it from. Yeah. And you'd have a absolutely clear swing, clear shot, but you just can't play it. I wouldn't major on the Hoy Lake debate because it's such a part of that course and it's such a feature of the opening hole. And it is, yeah, it's a fantastic course and club and everything else. It's just I think I think the most famous, um, well, not the most famous, but the sort of most notable one recently is Port Rush, um, the Dunluce. When first you've got outbounds right and you've got outbounds left, and the outbounds right is the road you're off the course. The outbounds left is an internal outbounds, um, and outbounds apparently is to do with um, when they don't own the land. So it's, that's where it was traditionally. If you don't own the land, that's when you go OB, and that's when you get um, the, obviously the most penal penal penalty you can get in golf. But that one on Dunluce is um, it's because they didn't used to own the land, which is why it's there on the left. That's why they've got their internal. They didn't used to own the land. They don't, well, McElroy hit it in both of them, didn't he? I think he blocked it right OB in the practice round, and then obviously in the opening round, um, stepped up and hit it left. So I'm sure he'd be in favour of getting rid of that internal OB. Well, the, the one at Port Rush is just a nod to the fact they didn't use to own the land, which is, I think, is the weirder section mm. because they now own it. They might as well just get rid of that. But they they just said, well, that's always been the case. That's that's OB left, so you just got to hit it down the middle. It's quite harsh, isn't it? You've just got two out bounds on the first hole. I'll get I'll get off my soapbox on this shortly, but a lot of places that use it will will, will plead safety as an as an argument, and then I would probably say the one of the most dangerous golf courses you can play is the old course. And if you look at that, you've got unlimited opportunity to start fencing off the difference between the the holes that traverse across similar parts, similar stretches of land, and start saying, "Well, anything left is out of bounds." You'd never do it. You'd, you'd absolutely never do it. It would completely destroy the playing experience and everything that the way that make that makes that golf course brilliant to play. It, it just I feel strongly about it. I don't know if you guys would give that an endorsement of getting on our shortlist. Okay, uh, down the etiquette side of things, um, not having a shirt tucked in, I think, is uh, just not a not a nice sight by any stretch, and something that's easily rectified. No, Cal's Cal, you're not liking that at all. No, I agree with you. I was just saying, yeah, big no no. You agree? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's just easy easy thing in the world, isn't it? Like buy proper fitting clothing that you know has adequate breathability in warm temperatures and just tuck it in. You look so much neater and tidier, doesn't it? Um, but then again, I've got the big polo shirt on and it's hanging down, sort of halfway down to your knees. It, it looks pretty bunk, doesn't it? Hmm. But then again, I guess actually now that I've said that out loud, 
I see that some people might just come back at me and say, well, you're the kind of stuffy individual who's stopping the game from being attractive to younger generations and things. So hmm, I don't know what, what, what are your thoughts on it, Mills? Cause you're newer to golf actually. And it, you'd offer a great perspective on this kind of side of things because you know, <laughs> Samuel Neely <laughs> way, but the like most yeah. comment ever made on this. Part. No. <laughs> L- I didn't mean man. it that way. But, no, but you might. You, you're coming at you. You're coming at it from. No, because I think Sam Cal. What I'm trying to say, is Sam Cal and I are coming at it from like we've probably had it instilled in us by the people who introduced us to the game from like day dot that you got to have your shirt tucked in and you got to look this way or whatever and you got to conform to the etiquette. <laughs> and you coming at it as someone like who you know who who's old, older when they pick the game it might be like well that just strikes me as an absolutely ludicrous rule that's just you know needs to be consigned to the ash heap of history okay so i'll pick that up <laughs> your chance um, at a rebuttal here there's a few things to it um i think if you're going to look at it from the grow the game perspective i think it's a it's an outdated thing i think if you're going to look at it in terms of um i just want to get kids out there and play and it really doesn't doesn't matter what they're wearing um the other thing i think about it is um if you i found really interesting do you listen to um any of podrick harrington's stuff on instagram there's quite a lot of swing videos and tips and things like that yeah i've seen some stuff and uh, i haven't seen him have his shirt tucked in once he's golf attire every day i guess he's never been tucked in. but i suppose he's i mean he's the next Ryder cup captain I mean, what he does is going to be looked at by people and yeah. seem to be. I mean, I know he's at home, but he's yeah. in golf gear. He's got his golf shoes on. He's got okay. He's got shorts on, but I mean, it's a really tough one. I mean, I understand what you're saying. If if, if you saw everybody out on the course just wearing you know flip flops and uh, and a vest, it'd be ridiculous. But I don't, I, I don't think it's I, you know as as black and white as it is. And I actually think that probably extends a little bit further. And I'm going to pose this to you guys. Um, would you, if you were said, would do you want pros to wear trousers for the rest of their lives? Would you say, yeah, that's what they should be wearing? Well, I think they're okay to wear shorts around their own, you know, homes and, and when they're out practicing <laughs> stuff. <laughs> that's extremely generous, Bruce. And uh, I think a lot of pros will be really keen that you've got such a progressive attitude. But I think the... Talk about the yeah. rest of their lives. <laughs> I, I could I could handle tour I could yeah, handle tour fun. events with shorts. I think that would be um that would be cool. I just purse I, I I as an individual, I probably like to tuck my shirt in when I'm out on the golf course. If I feel like I'm a bit of if it's all hanging out and everything, I feel a bit of feel a bit scruffy and stuff. I feel like I might play a bit scruffy. That's a personal bias. <laughs> yeah. Think, um, Ian Poulter of the podcast over here. Yeah, look, I don't know. Look, like, look great, swing great. There's a there's a bit of wanting to to feel feel smart in yourself. However, it's dress for you, and, and there's a lot of places where you, you know you go out to you know out in the middle of nowhere in Ireland and go and play some fantastic kind of community golf courses with Honesty Box, where you've got you know ten year old kids carrying around three or four sticks in jeans and a t-shirt and just having a good time. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. And that, there's probably no hard and fast rule on it, but I would say in club and competition golf and stuff, yeah, like you'd want to probably dress appropriately. I think there's a massive question mark on dress and etiquette, isn't there, and, and barriers to entry for the game. I see why you, why you bring it into the discussion, whether it's a hard and fast rule, which probably means can it be room 101, I don't know. 
Yeah, I think maybe I set up a bit of a false dichotomy at the beginning because I do think you can distinguish between different kinds of golfing environments, can't you? And there's there's places where we should make the game, you know, as easy and as accessible as possible. And, you know, if you immediately at the front door to any kind of golf, you're getting people to dress a certain way, that's, that can't be a good thing. But certainly at some of the, the you know, um, higher levels of the game um competitively and you know what people are seeing on tv and that sort of stuff and at, at, at clubs that really value some of the tradition then i don't think it's an issue to have maybe slightly more stringent um guidelines on on how you present yourself what i do think is an interesting take on this is uh <clears throat> in a former life i used to be a teacher and uh the head the head mistress that, that used to work that used to be super strict on um on attire and the reason she said that this is we are going to like come down on like a shit ton of bricks about what they wear is because it's her in her opinion as soon as you let standards of attire slip everything else went with it so if you could control something as easy as what they wear the rest of the rules and the rest of the etiquette looked after itself which is quite an interesting view and i think if you think about it in terms of golf if you manage to just you know keep keep hold of that one tradition then perhaps the rest of the traditions about the honorability of the game will just look after itself. Does that extend to your pink sweatshirt and snapback? Um, that's only off course, strictly off course. Got you. Got you. Okay. That sounds like there's some mixed opinions on this. And if there's not a hard and fast rule, it doesn't make the shortlist. Probably feels like you might be taking an E for the second time this pod here, Bruce. I thought you said, uh, please don't use Game of Thrones references. Sat, uh, Tom got one in about Family Guy earlier. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I know, I know, and I'll let that slide. Um, Tom, do you want to bring another one in back to the table? People who give themselves three foot or further as a gimme and then go tell people in the clubhouse that they shot 76. Why would you draw the line at three foot? Because plenty of people have missed one from 18 inches or two feet. But do you know what I mean? Like, so there's someone that, that that you play with, and I've played with people that I respect. They walk up to a, mm. you know, two two three footer, pick it up, go, oh yeah, that's good. And I was on, you know, we're not playing a match. We're just having a little knock, you know, just put the ball in the hole. I, I'd push back on that fairly strict, strict strictly actually. Um, I get like I agree. You can't go around saying you've shot your lowest round ever if you're giving yourself putts left, right, and centre from three four feet. Absolutely, like you can't go and, and claim you've you've broken the course record or you've shot your lowest round ever uh, and look at yourself in the mirror that night with any kind of respect if you're giving yourself putts. Um, but having said that, I don't think there should be like hard and fast rules, particularly, you know, when the, the sort of elephant in the room here as well is like slow play and making sure that people can actually just enjoy the game rather than thinking that it's some sort of draconian form of sadistic torture or whatever where you've got to make yourself put everything like if you want a quick brisk round of golf with friends and you just want to actually just like chew the fat and enjoy the the sort of sunshine and getting out walking the fairways like a lot of people will have done post lockdown i don't see an issue in being slightly liberal with um giving some putts like there's competitive golf in abundance at most golf clubs and obviously there's no gimmies there so i i don't see the yeah i don't see that for me no, oh, that's a good good comeback. My my, my I I will r- return to this. It's just the only I don't care about people picking up and playing quickly. That's quite it's quite something that should be encouraged. But it's then coming in and saying, 
Yeah, shot a 76, shot 78. That's my that's my pickle of this. Yeah, you're either scoring or you're not scoring. Yeah, it's, it's just the chat that goes with it. It's the dressing up that goes with mm. it. If you're, it's there as Bruce said. If you're ambling around and chilling the fat and there for a quick game, but yeah, if you go out there and start sort of yeah, I guess bragging in the bar afterwards, um, then yeah, I guess that's not quite right. The big the big elephant in the room, I guess, would be around slow play. Mm. Um, there's just ways around it, isn't it? It's, it's the, the most annoying thing is you're on the tee, there's slow people in front of you, and they've sort of left their bag on the other side of the green. It's nowhere near it. In the wrong direction they're going. It's just looking after little things like that that are going to help speed up the game, especially when there's quite a few groups out there, etc. being mindful of others. Um, it's just stuff like that that really, as you say, grinds your gears just standing on the tee and watching this unfold in front of you. is um, Yeah, I, 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 me, I totally agree with you, Cal. I think slow play is blight on the game, as as people all too rightly point out. I mean, it's it's something that, you know, the RNA and a lot of the other governing bodies seem to hold as an even more pressing issue than the how the ball and the driver has got gotten out of hand as regards distance. Um and slow play is definitely something that, that needs fixed. And I don't think professionals do the game any favours um, setting the sort of examples that they do on, on TV um, where, you know, like just a five-hour round is pretty commonplace. Um, I don't know how you attack it, really. It's, it's, it, is a, it is a widespread issue for sure. Do you think pro game, just slightly veering a, a little bit off topic, do you think just chuck some tech in their hands and just so their caddies know the exact distance of pin from back of the green, just to speed things up a little bit? Yeah, get rid of the green books as well. Maybe a counterintuitive one, but a few people have rightly pointed out like green books are just dreadful, um, dreadfully slow things down like to to a pretty large extent. Um, yeah, there's a few interventions tough. I think you can make on that. I think it's so hard to fix. Like you say, if you're if you're coming out the game, your your best benchmark is watching golf on television almost mm. certainly um and it's it's dress it's desperately slow like it's not they'll play a two ball in not not a million miles off double pace to what we would typically play a two ball in granted there's a lot more on the lines but it is it's crazy and i, I think it's so hard it's also more so more than anything i think it's the awareness of speed on a course that's the bigger issue than actual speed of play like i've got no issue the fact that some people take more shots some people take less shots some people mm. are slower golfers and some people are quicker golfers but if you've got an awareness of your speed then you can actually manage the situation and that yeah. and that cuts through whether it's plowing right up to the group behind get the get the field kind of completely sandwiched behind them so then you've just like kind of got a tail back like you would on the motorway or you know, actually people just realizing they're a little bit slower and then kind of thinking about where the opportune moment is to let them through or when to speed up. You, the, the, one, the one part of the game where actually people seem to get away with it more than ever is corporate golf. I don't play much corporate golf, but that is, it, it's almost lemming-esque. And by that, I mean, <laughs> everyone walks to that next person to hit. They stand by the ball, watch that person hit, and then everyone collectively walks to the next <laughs> ball. It oh, is the God. most obscene thing to watch. 
and they'll come off five and a half hours and just be like, that's absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? It's just great fun. Just love golf. And you're like, <laughs> it, it's, I, I, it's like I could literally double your enjoyment right now by getting you around in half the time. Let's just play when we're ready. Let's keep moving, keep walking, carry our sticks. You know, it's, let's pick up when we've kind of, when we've got, when we've reached the seven mark. It's just a lot more enjoyable. I think it's the big elephant in the room. It's, it gets my seal of approval. I, whether it's speed of play or slow play or awareness of speed of play, I, I, don't, I don't really care, but it's, it's the big one as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's tricky when you throw competitive golf in the mix. Like on the one hand, like on the professional side of the game, like I, do, you know, I do admire him. I think he's a great player. But when Jason Day came out a few years ago being like, I tried to speed things up after you know, I got to world number one and I won the PGA in 2015 and it didn't work out. So I'm just going to go back to playing how I used to and fuck what everyone else thinks. I thought that was like an awful thing to to say and an awful message to send out to young players, you know, when Jason all day is taking five hours and thinks that that's an acceptable way to play the game. It's not great. But um, on the other hand, I think, you know, without wanting to sound like too much of a contrarian, it can also be quite annoying to play golf and have speed golfers behind you who are just picking up and playing really quickly as well like i think just one of the most amusing things when i played junior golf at um so yeah when i played junior golf growing up was walking into a club where i used to be a member and uh hearing like some of the old boys say how do you get on today to to one another and they're like yeah good thanks two hours 45 and you're like what on earth are you talking about like I think, yeah, there's just, there's some, but I guess some people just play the game for, you know, enjoyment, just exercise and just being out with their mates and other people play it more as like, as more of a game where they want to score and still be competitive. So it's just, as you say, Sam, like as long as you've got an awareness of like what people's different priorities are and and just being able to call people through, if you are taking a bit longer, I, I think that's probably the main issue, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. The other day I was, uh, I was having a knock, um, and uh, I had the curse of a one ball behind me. And uh, when you've got a one ball behind you, it's it's actually really a lot of pressure, isn't it? Because you you turn around, you know, you've played your tee shot or whatever, and you, you get to the, you find your ball, you you play or whatever, and you turn around, and this one ball is just like teapotting on the tee, and you're like, oh, fucking hell, I'm really, I, I'm really holding this guy up. So we got to a point where we just let this guy through, and then you realize he's just sort of topping it along the ground, and you're like, actually he's only getting he's only looked quick because he's playing on his own and it's just, mm. it and just he picks up, up or uh, yeah and it's yeah. it is a lot of pressure i think when you feel like you've got someone's teapotting behind you and it's yeah i like that I, expression I, teapotting <laughs> yeah so true one hand on hip the club <laughs> extended from the body <laughs> cross leg usually used as a leaning device <laughs> gotta lean on it yeah um what others have people got? I've got a sneaking suspicion. I know there's one that we've not we've left out there that Tom's itching to chuck into the mix. It's uh, it, I know it's not going to make the list, but I think it needs a notable mention, which is um, just outrageous prizes for the pros that they don't need. Car for a hole in one million dollars for if you get a fucking eagle. Yeah. Hole. It's nobody. Cares. This is this is also on my um, list. The uh, Wyndham rewards, Aon risk reward. Um, yeah, it's God. just absolute tripe. I mean, I think just... Bruce actually summed it up in a pod. Uh, a lot of what he says is total garbage, but that was actually very true. What he said there when he said it was naked commercialism, 
And uh, there is no better way of summarizing these types of rewards. It is totally naked. Take a knee. Yeah, it, it is. No, it's uh, it's something that really great to me. I'm like, especially when they they get so much airtime. Just well, they have to plug it, don't they? So, is Wyndham Rewards is that the same as the Aomris Reward? I don't know. Wyndham Rewards is top is the top ten finishers in the regular season before the playoffs. So it's a little comp before the playoffs actually occur. I mean, there's enough cash splashing around out there, isn't there? So without yeah, the exactly. need to be playing for some kind of, it's just an extra filler mill. It's like the Aeon. Like, do you yeah. honestly think people get down to the sort of, you know, you know, they're right down to the kind of key part of the season, and they're thinking, I, I need to win this tournament because this will give me the world ranking points to put me in top ten. This will, you know, this will put me right up there in the FedEx. Yeah, but hang on a minute you're right in the mixer for the Aeon Risk Award here. <laughs> if we can make Eagle here, your name's going to go on that trophy as the second winner of all time of the Aeon Risk Reward, which is calculated by essentially figuring out who birdies the most short par four holes over the over the year. Absolute I, uh, tribe. I, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, Sammy. I think like in general, you could say there's actually just too much money like wrapped up in professional golf at the moment. And I draw a distinction between, you know, the two recent um, bits of live golf that we've seen that has obviously been for very worthy causes with COVID relief. And I think the players has historically had a decent partnership with, I think, JP Morgan, um, you know, buying books for, I don't know, underprivileged sort of school children, um, I think is is something that they've done at the players for the last few years, at least. And a certain number of Eagles equates to a donation to, you know, a, a worthy cause. And like, I'm fine with that. But I think just in general, there's like too much money and too much hype and just commercialism associated with golf. And whether that's, you know, seeing the BMW i8 or whatever it is on three different par threes on the same golf course in Germany, or it's a case of like, I, I mean, I'm going to go out and live and say it. Like I like this. I like the coverage that sky offers in general, but like them taking out a team of 12 or 10 or 12 reporters and presenters to a golf tournament. You're like, all these people getting paid and like the analysis that we're getting is like, it's just, it just gets a bit much. Sometimes you actually just want to kind of strip it back to the bare bones and the old days of like Ken Brown and Peter Alice, dare I say it on BBC, just offering up the odd, slightly loose opinion Yeah, and watching and like watching golfers kind of in, in the peace and quiet. I think it's, I think it's actually quite telling that like the best golfer of all time, um, says that you know when he was coming back from his injury or even when he's not playing like a full schedule he will just watch live golf without any commentary because it just sickens him listening to a lot of it joe ogilvy <laughs> a second sorry second but i think i mean with the aon just 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 going back to the aon touching on bruce's point it would even soften the blow for me a touch if like at the beginning of the year they all picked a charity and if they happened to win the aon risk award that million went to charity that'd soften the blow a bit for me. And I think, yeah, that's, that's quite cool. Let's go into some charity, but just to go in their pockets, it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I think we'll see some changes when we, I mean, we're um, a couple of people I've spoken to this week have kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, things like challenge tour, European tour, well, well challenge and Euro pro will be kind of um, very much on hold for the rest of this year. You know, there's clearly going to be massive changes in the purses they're playing for. If you're a marketing guy, a on you're in, in the insurance business, there's a pretty strong likelihood that things like this are, are going to come under a bit of scrutiny. So um, who knows 
COVID may have done our bidding on that one. Um, but it is, um, yeah. I think the FedEx drives a lot of this, don't they? Kind of mandate that they are essentially the top money event, and therefore nothing can go above it. I think that's why wasn't that why Tiger and Phil could only play for something like nine or ten mil? They couldn't play for any more because essentially the, the PJ holds the rights on FedEx, basically gold plating the event uh, at the end of the season. I think I think there's something in there which knowledge bomb. Just just drop that stuff in. It's that kind of but high quality uh... insight you get on Cookie Joe. Let's start to wrap this up and we'll look at um, what we're going to consign to the bin. Um, but I'd like to throw in some honorable mentions just very quickly. I know they're not going to go in there, no. but when a commentator says a full 360 on a putt. Good shout. Like that. I mean, it's not a 360. Physically, physically impossible. It's only a 360 if it goes back on in the same line. <laughs> it leaves the line it went in. <laughs> so that, like, that annoys me a little bit. Um, you just hate commentary in general, don't you, Mills? <laughs> Don't get him on his soapbox. Don't get him on his soapbox. <laughs> Any kind of commentary or self-aggrandizement of someone's own golf. And Mills <laughs> is all over it like a rash. Wins one match in the club knockout and all of a sudden he's, he's completed it. <laughs> yeah. Remote control remote control trolleys. Yeah. They could probably yeah. be consigned to the bin, but it's not a pressing enough issue. I, I think fully able people on buggies as well. Oh, fully no, able people on, on buggies in 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 conditions that do not warrant a buggy. I think people should be encouraged to walk. Uh, okay, how how did that get on for you in your in your trip to Portugal last year, Sam? When you went and played Monterey up in the hills there. I mean, well, you're going to walk, that, you don't walk where... that one on foot. <laughs> yeah, well, that one's one you're not going to walk, isn't it? Unless yeah. you want a marathon. Um, another honourable mention: people who uh, hit shots over water and go, oh. I'm going to go look for that. I think I think I might have cleared it. And then when they can't find it, mm, yeah, it was in the water. I've got to take a drop. Yeah, I mean, that's just cheating. Going back to the tea. That's just cheating. That, that's one of those grinders. Sorry, can we so, just lay, lay that one out a bit more clear? You're saying people who are hitting a shot over water, they aren't sure whether they've cleared it or not. They Their initial look is for over the water – to see if they if they've in some it. And then, gorse, I presume. And then when they can't so, find it, they'll assume it's in yeah. the water. Actually, the, the second you say, I'm going to go look for that ball, you are declaring that it's not in the hazard. Yeah. So if it's not in the hazard and you can't find it, you've got to go back to the tee. You cannot then say, well, it must be in the hazard, so I'll take a drop because you're not sure. Unless there's a drop zone. No, because it's still got to go in the, in the hazard, hasn't it? Yeah, but I think you can use a bit of common sense there, can't you? It's like if you're, if it's just fairway and short grass beyond the hazard, and there's no feasible way that it could have gone anywhere but the hazard, but you're not quite sure until you get up there because of your eyesight or because of, I don't know, excessively high reeds or other kind of growth in the pond. I, I don't see using some deductive reasoning there is a massive issue like yeah i get if you've got some other sketchy hazards over it then you might even if you've got rough even if there's rough there that's what i said short um, grass actually pick my words very carefully donald that's just fairway then so you're saying there's only fairway beyond this imaginary hazard now short I'm, gonna, grass I'm, gonna, I'm gonna cut in the middle of this joust uh, and while we're on, on on the subject of 
Um, it's gone on yeah, too long. That one has. On, on subject of war speakers, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to just chuck. I'm just going to chuck coarse paraphernalia in as a as a as an umbrella term, and I'm not saying all of that. It's an honourable mention, but. I think I think um, fountains in water features would be a, a strong strong contender for me. I've never known it to improve a goal pole. Um, it's not a garden. It's not. It's it's not. It's not. It's not landscape architecture. This is golf. So I would I would have a fairly strong view that that fountains in water features don't add value. And and that other types of course paraphernalia. So sometimes I don't need a sort of an a sort of an, an eight by four board on the tee to show me a diagram of a hole I'm about to play. Like I can see really clearly where the bunkers are. Um, so I, I think things like that. And and again, there's a little bit it's of... It's even worse when it's sponsored as well, isn't it? Correct. It's not naked commercialism because <laughs> often it's local businesses. But it is still irritating. And I, I find none of that actually, you know, it, it kind of strips you away from the the, the ruggedness and the um, being at one with nature and all the kind of nice stuff that actually golf originally came from. And it turned it, it, it waters the whole thing down. It's an honourable mention. I don't expect you guys to jump in and say it's a hard and fast rule, but... Um, yeah, I don't know if anyone else has got any other honourable mentions they want to yeah, check in. Yeah, I had a couple of others. Um, putting with a glove on, I'm not really sure where I stand on that kind of thing. Any any kind of glove that's just not, you know, unless it's wet weather conditions, any glove that's not just a sort of standard, you know, minimalistic white glove, I think you need some explaining really as to why you're the, not. The green glove? no. Not really, unless it's Charlie Hoffman and it's the first round at Augusta. I don't, I don't know if that really has a place in golf. Um, and then another one I had was just, you know, any kind of, uh, you know, taking your trolley to the driving range. I think is just something that <laughs> absolutely has to be done away with. There's far too much clutter going on there when you see people rocking up to. Not, not that I, you know, go to driving ranges all that much. Um, yeah. Excessive on, on that note, I'd say um, I'd say tour bags. Amateurs using tour bags grinds my gears. Yeah, I did that. Pros only. Leave it for the pros. Just unnecessary. Well, you've you've used one, haven't you, Bruce? Yeah, you, um, you know, I think a lot of junior trouble. golfers can get get pulled yeah. into that naked commercialist trap. Um, yeah, I saw. I managed to dodge that one. Um, and me being massively into stash, you know, I'd probably be. Could have easily be led down that path. But I, I mean, they are, a lot of them, they are like little pieces of art, I guess. And they're very cool. There's pockets and they can put whatever you want. So much stuff. I remember you coming close well, to pulling then. the trigger on one. I remember there being some... some I, I've come on, oh yeah. Oh, triggers I've were come, nearly yeah, pulled. A few times. It's, it's another fair a few one. Times. Have you got your name on the back, Chris? Did I have mine on the back? No, no. Thankfully, I got I got yeah. talked down off that one. Um, yeah, I'm nearly at age 14 or 15 or whatever. No, I don't think it was 15. 15 was a bit far. But yeah, age 14, Bruce Fitzpatrick, handicap 12. I think there is um, there's, there's a time. I mean, where where one can have a tour bag. You know, if you if you if you remember the Trilby Tour, for instance, I feel like you should be able to have your own yeah, tour. Yeah, I mean, you should never have played in that. I think you are. As, as bad yeah. as that is, that, that bag that you got is actually quite delicate and a lot smaller. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't have your name on it, though, does it? But it's got your name on it. Oh, yeah. But it's got your name on it. Has it actually got his name on it? Yeah. It's on, yeah. I had no idea. Oh, sorry, I completely missed that. Yeah, but it's on like a, a plastic sheeting <laughs> on the bag. It's, well, we're um, going to... 
we're going to play the Macmillan longest day uh, in golf. So anyone, and this is probably not going to have high level of take up, but we will we will happily uh, auction off Tom Mills's signed Trilby Tour bag. Was it 2016? Um, we will auction that off to the highest bidder. Which one did you have, Bruce? Out of interest. Mate, it makes it even worse. I, I almost feel like you've got the inside track on this. I had the Nike Sasquatch one, that yellow. Oh, strong. And Black silver and yellow. thing. Yeah, mate. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't know if it quite competes with the sort of lime green and brown Trilby Tour one that Mills is, still has, um, you know, kicking around. It may be, um, be good if both of you can get those yeah. back out. Yeah. Appreciate oh, that. We should do it. We should, we should do that on the I'll trip, do that with the, Mills, uh... yeah. And then they're not going on trolleys. You're going to have to carry those bad boys around. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying them vertically. Don't lay them down. Just yeah. Team shots. Okay. Yeah. Right. So let's just let's just wrap this up. So I think we've got seven. Um, I would say unanimous picks. Hyperbole and clickbait were one. Number two, iron covers and bag paraphernalia. Three, internal outbounds. Four shirts tucked in. Not sure there was consensus on that, but it's in there. Uh, five gimmies and de- declaration of score. Six speed of play, and seven uh, naked commercialism. Uh, I mean, I- I'm gonna I- I'm gonna offer an opinion that says naked commercialism and hyperbole would be the ones that we all seem to be most unanimous mm. around. Yeah, and speed of the- play. I think we all reached a degree of consensus on those they as well, seemed the biggies didn't they the rest of them yeah. the reality is the world will keep spinning with or without iron covers in bags um people can still you know if it makes people happy kind of take gimmies and say the shot 64 it doesn't matter but speed of play impacts everyone and this this kind of kind of naked commercialism as we keep referring to it now well bruce certainly did and coined the term. I still I don't remember using it, but I'll go with you. Uh, on I've that got one. evidence. I'll dig the pot out. But um, just before we go, I've I've got a great title for this one. It's going to be Room One Hundred and One. You will not believe what these boys have said. <laughs> this podcast should be banned. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Adios, Arrivederci. <laughs> 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 <laughs>